All right, Alexander, let's talk about a possible second front, a possible conflict, let's just say, between Russia and Moldova, or the collective West, NATO and Russia again, but via Moldova, because we have a new uh, prime minister in, uh, in Moldova, and uh, he is saying that Transnistria needs to be demilitarized. That's his. That's his uh, statement as he, as he heads into office as as he becomes a new yeah. prime minister. Yes. Pretty hawkish yes. statement to start your uh, term with. Well, absolutely, and in in so many ways, irrelevant to the problems, the immediate, urgent, priority problems that Moldova is experiencing, because Moldova is going through an immense economic crisis. Um, living standards in Moldova are collapsing. There's major protests going on. There's protests going on all the time. Um, the president of Moldova, who was elected last year, Maria Sandu, um, appears to be increasingly unpopular in the country. She's a pro-Western president. Now, I cannot confirm what I'm about to say, but I believe it to be true. She was not expected initially to win election, the election. The uh, expectation was that the long, that the you know the previous incumbent president Igor Dodon, who was seen as basically pro-Russian, that he would win. But she won unexpectedly, and it was widely believed at the time, and since, and may be true, that she won with the votes not of people in Moldova, but with the very very large Moldovan diaspora in Europe, who are basically mobilised. You know, I use the word mobilise in inverted commas. <laughs> I'm not sure how these people voted and I'm not sure how their votes were communicated. But anyway, those votes ended up in Moldova and it was those votes that enabled her to win. But she's never been apparently especially popular with a large part of the Moldovan public. There have been lots of protests against her in Moldova and against the pro-Western course that she's been following. These protests have grown in scale as the economic crisis has uh, deepened. And, of course, what Sandu does in this situation is, of course, she doesn't change direction or you know, adjust to policies. She talks instead that these about these protests being part of a Russian-prepared coup against her, provided no evidence that I can see of that. How would the Russians be able to organise a coup in Moldova? But anyway, that's what she says. She talks about Moldova being destabilised by the Russians. The uh, Western powers endorse this line. And what she then does, she, she's, her government, her deeply unpopular pro-Western government, which is presided over this economic crisis is forced to resign but she picks someone even more hardline and that person is now talking about Transnistria there's talk about a military strike on Transnistria this is a sort of region of Moldova which has autonomy and where there's a Russian uh, base and there's Russian forces there an, an, an attack on this territory, talk of an attack on this territory from Ukraine as well. And 
On top of all of that, of course, there's also rumours that this Prime Minister has been brought in in order to crack down on the opposition. In other words, to crack down on the protests, to uh, um, outlaw uh, one of the political parties, which the, the leading opposition party, which is now reading the protests, which is apparently fairly pro-Russian, to crack down on all, the, all of these protests. In other words, a, a coup, but one launched by the president of the prime minister, not one launched by the Russians against the president and the prime minister, and one perhaps taking in Transnistria as well. Now, I don't know that any of this is going to happen. I want to stress this. And, you know, this is, this is you know, to some extent, we, you know, this is a dynamic and evolving situation. And it could very well be that the Moldovan security forces might not be up for this. But that, it seems to me, is the direction of travel. Yeah, there was the, I think you were telling me about it, the the theory that the previous prime minister leaving was, was actually a setup by the, uh, by the current government, the, the uh, uh, Sandu? San, San yes, Sandu. Yeah. Sandu government. Sandu government in order to usher in a more hawkish um, prime minister. In other words, they, they wanted the previous prime minister to leave so that she could put in a more hawkish prime minister on the orders of the people that put her in office, which is pretty much the EU and, and, uh, and the, and the elite class, because she's, she's one of them. I mean, she's, she's your typical Trudeau, um, WEF type of person, you know, that, that's, that she's cut from the same cloth as all of those, uh, those leaders. And from what I understand, <laughs> people in Moldova, this is just anecdotal, but mm-hmm. most people that I've communicated with from uh, Moldova, they, they despise her. And, and this yeah. is even people that are not pro-Russian. I mean, she is just, she's, she's, she's hated in her country, it seems. Yes. And, uh, and it looks like this whole prime minister resignation and this new prime minister that came in seems like it was all kind of raked. Would it surprise me? Yeah, I think that's exactly what's happened. I mean, this is, ex- I mean, by the way, I'm getting exactly the same <laughs> anecdotal comments coming out of Moldova that you, that you are. You've got to be careful with anecdotal comments. And I'm, there is a, there is a core of support for a very strong pro-Western, extreme pro-Western policy as there used to be in Ukraine. I mean, remember way back in 2010, only <laughs> something like, you know, 15% of Ukrainians wanted Ukraine to join NATO. But they were there, and they were able ultimately to prevail because, well, we know how. And it's the same sort of forces that you see in Moldova today. I'm not saying, by the way, that you know these situations are exactly the same, but she does have some support in Moldova, where I get the impression that most people don't like her, don't want her, would like to see her gone. And as you absolutely correctly say, I think that she was manoeuvred into office with votes from outside. That's what I've heard. Now, you know, if that's not true, well, people can come forward and can argue the opposite. But anyway, that's what I've heard, and that she's not popular. And again, this is always the consistent pattern. You don't change your policies. You don't bend. You don't try and find some way to accommodate 
the concerns of your people. You, you take ever more extreme positions. You become ever more hardline. And you're quite right. The EU leadership are backing her. They're very much the kind of people who probably leveraged her into power in the first place. And she's now got rid of a government that clearly failed and was clearly unpopular, but which was focused on economic matters. And she seems to be replacing it with a much more hardline government. And we have all this business that it's all really the Russians. The Russians are to blame. They're, they're, they're causing the problem. They're destabilizing the situation in Moldova. Now, the other thing to say about this, though, is that we, we were here a few months ago. If you remember, way back in the early summer, there was a lot of rumors that something was going to happen in Transnistria. And uh, there, were, there was, you know, explosions and attacks and all kinds of things. And then it all seemed to die down. And the evidence suggested that at that time, some people in the US did not want to expand the war into Moldova, into Transnistria. They were still trying to limit the war, contain the war. It, it looks, I suspect, it looks as if those voices of relative moderation or sanity, perhaps, they've now been uh, shunted aside and we're seeing, you know, the more hardline neocon figures prevail again and they seem to be determined once more to return to this Moldovan scenario, um, take over Transnistria and all those things. I should say there's, there's one enigmatic thing that, you know, people always bring up when whenever the subject of Transnistria is talked about, which is that there's said to be this enormous munitions dump there left over from the Cold War with these, you know, thousands upon thousands of shells. It was supposed to be, you know, one of the major ammunition stores that the Soviet army built up in case of a war in Europe with NATO and that, you know, with Ukraine desperately short of shells, they want to take control of this ammunition dump to replenish themselves with all those shells. Well, that may still be there for all I know. But what I would say is that I read a report somewhere that the shelf life of shells is about 20 years before they start to degrade. And that's only if they're stored properly. So if those shells are still there, they're probably more dangerous to anybody who uses them than they would be to the Russians if they were used against them. Yeah, who knows? I mean, I've, I've heard that as well, but yeah. we just don't know. Um, My, it would have surprised guess, me. They're so desperate. Yeah. Yeah, they're so desperate. And I mean, you know, this is, and I, I think that's right, because as it with NATO out of shells for Ukraine, uh, Borrell talking about, you know, we just plunder our warehouses for shells with the manufacturers coming coming back and saying, well, we just can't increase production of shells in the way that you want. It may be that, you know, this mirage, I think it is a mirage. By the way, I suspect that the Russians have probably removed most of those shells or done away with them long ago. I mean, remember, the Russians have a military presence there. But assuming that they're still there, it's still a mirage because I doubt that many of these are in any kind of usable condition. 
but it could be that this mirage of these shells is attracting Ukraine and NATO and is maybe one of the factors that is leading to this crisis in, in Moldova and Transnistria too. But anyway, whatever it is, it's a, it's a witch's brew of things. And it could very well be that over the next few weeks, even days, we could see a major political crisis in Moldova. Uh, Sandu has a big majority in the parliament. The same way in which she got elected as president ensured a runaway victory for her party um, in the parliamentary elections. So I, a, a, a declaration of martial law or something like that is not impossible. And that could be followed by a crackdown, as I said, and perhaps a march into Transnistria too. I don't think these are fanciful or even unlikely scenarios. Yeah, just on the on the point of of uh, the the economy of Moldova, the, the energy prices. I mean, the reports are that anywhere between fifty and seventy percent of of household income in Moldova goes to uh, to the energy bills of that household. So, I mean, it's I mean, people are are at a breaking point in uh, in Moldova, even if they're even if they're pro Sandu anti Russia. You know, when you're paying that much for your for your energy bills, it's you know you want change. But um, what what happens if they uh, attack Transnistria? Because I believe that the, the the this storage of ammo in in Moldova, this mirage that you called it, I, I believe that's that's not the real motivating factor. That's not the driving factor to to ramp up a conflict in uh, in Moldova. It's 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 the same neocon belief that that they can uh, strike a blow to to Russia to Putin to the Russian military perhaps distract away from Ukraine perhaps they see an opening now that uh, Russia is is focused on Ukraine for them to uh to to move into uh, Transnistria you know they they they're looking at the at the geopolitical chessboard once again and they're they think that they're the smart people moving pieces around yes. but um what happens if they do go after Transnistria because the thinking from the uh, from the West side of things and the Ukraine side of things is that Russia is indeed distracted, or as Ben Wallace said, ninety seven percent of their military is occupied in Ukraine, and uh, this is their chance. This is their opportunity to to take Transnistria and to embarrass Putin. Yeah, and um, they say this is now it's a now or never kind of thing, and Russia doesn't have the capability to do anything about it because. As Wallace now, said, they're ninety-seven percent bogged down in Ukraine. I mean, they're wrong, but yeah. that's that's the thinking. That's the argument. Absolutely. Well, let, let me just first, before I answer that, just make the point: if it is indeed the case, and I actually am absolutely sure it is the case, but if it is indeed the case that fifty to seventy percent of household incomes are going on fuel costs, on energy costs, that is a catastrophic situation, and any rational government that cared about its country would be prioritizing that and yet instead what you see is the new prime minister comes in and is talking about transnistria which gives you some idea of the kind of government that moldova has at the moment so you know just 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 to make that point i mean its priorities are 
extremely belligerent ones, not the kind of priorities that most people in Moldova would expect their government to have, even people who perhaps would like to see the Russians out of Transnistria. But I think you're absolutely correct, by the way. I think that the, I think that the munitions dump is more a media trope than a reality. I, I don't think this is a real factor in anybody's calculations, but it's one that people bring up, so I think it's as well to just, you know, speak about this. But I think that you're quite right. This is the chance. Gets Russians are bogged down in Ukraine. 97% of their military is there. They can't really respond. So let's do this big strike. Let's settle Transnistria quickly. Let's um, establish once and for all the pro-Western government in Moldova. Let's round up all the pro-Russian political forces there. Let's carry out, in effect, some kind of big crackdown and then bring Moldova into NATO, bring Moldova into uh, the EU as quickly as possible. And of course, even if we lose in Ukraine in that case, well, at least we've got Moldova, which, all right, it's a small consolation prize, but it's something. And you can actually see the thinking there. I think that's a disastrous miscalculation. It's the kind of thing that, you know, looking at the map, you can imagine people like Sullivan and Blinken and Newland and all of those and people in London and people in Brussels that they might all be making. But all that's going to do is that it's going to create another issue of conflict, a big issue of conflict between the Russians and um, the West. And of course, first of all, you'll be landing yourself with the problem in that case of what to do with Moldova itself. There might be many very angry, disaffected people in Moldova. You might be able to repress them. You might be able to do all sorts of things with them. But bear in mind, the West has already done everything it can to support pro-Western forces in Moldova. It's given economic help. It's given presumably security help. And that still hasn't sorted out Moldova's problems. So it may be that, you know, you can't turn things economically in Moldova around. And you might find that you are facing all sorts of opposition. But the other thing is, it all but guarantees that once, once the Russians have sorted out whatever it is that they want to achieve in Ukraine, which they will eventually, they will come after the West in Moldova too. So it's perpetuating conflict and making sure that the conflict between Russia and the West moves ever further west. Yeah, I mean, I just wonder what happens if Moldova attacks Russian troops, like well, something akin to what happened in Georgia. Yeah, well, indeed. Which is well, a possibility, I mean, a very, well, a very oh, real it's very real, yeah. a very real possibility. Well, I think, you know, at that case, a Russian military response against Moldova is not impossible. We could be seeing missile strikes and things of that kind. Not impossible at all. And it might not be entirely coincidence that the chief of Rostec has just, that's the you know, the Russian state-owned umbrella company that runs Russia's military-industrial com complex has said that Russia has increased by multiples its production of hypersonic Kinjal missiles, which might conceivably, in that case, be used against Moldova. So, I mean, you know, you could do all, the Russians could do all kinds of things. What they would do, I don't know. 
But I don't think an advance on Transnistria, taking on the Russian forces in Transnistria, which are not numerous, about 1,500 men, I've heard, um, is at all a good idea. But, you know, desperate people do desperate things. Reckless people do de reckless things. We saw what Seymour Hirsch says they did over Nord Stream. Are they going to stop <laughs> because there's 1,500 troops, Russian troops in Moldova? I would have thought not. What well, does does that also risk bringing Romania in, into this? Absolutely, of course it does, because Romania has historic claims to Moldova, claims which most people in Moldova oppose, even if they are ethnic Romanians, if you like, people who speak the Romanian language. But nonetheless, Moldova, uh, Romania has a long-standing irredentist claims to Moldova. By the way, um, Nicolae Ceausescu, the former communist dictator of Romania, um, at the end of his time as you know, leader of Romania, also remade those claims. So, you know, this is a long-standing thing, and uh, it's entirely possible that Romania might get dragged in. I don't think many people in Romania, or at least I think a lot of people in Romania would be extremely unhappy were that to happen, just as I think many people in Poland would be extremely unhappy if they were pulled into the conflict in Ukraine. But it is not impossible at all, given the makeup of the current Romanian leadership, which is rigidly pro-NATO, pro-EU, and still, as I said, nurses this desire to regain control of Moldova. All right, uh, the Duran.locals.com. We are on Rockfin as well. And go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code good day. Take care.